This is a Hot Pie original. I mean, to be a high performance, to be consistent, be sustainable. I think that's the word I would use when I think about high performance is sustainable. You know, I was, a, I was an analytics guy. And for us, sustainability is not necessarily can you be consistent, is it's the habits you have in place. Well, those set you up to be consistent on a daily basis. And if you don't have a sustainable supply chain, you're not going to have consistent product because again, it's a lot bigger than just what you do on the court and what you do in the weight room. And even what you do with your diet, there's a lot more that goes into it. Hi, I'm Eric Corum, and this is The Blueprint. I've spent my life helping Olympic gold medalists, NFL and NCAA athletes be the best at their craft. Now I'm taking that experience and translating it into your lives. This podcast is for busy professionals and household CEOs who care deeply about their family, career, and their health. There's an ocean of content to wade through, but I do the heavy lifting for you and distill cutting-edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your lifestyle and goals. Nathan Knight is a professional basketball player for the Minnesota Timberwolves. In this episode, Nathan and I discuss how autonomy drives growth and performance and the number one thing that kills a budding career. This is a special episode for me because Nathan was a player of mine at William & Mary, and I got to play a small role in his development, and I was blessed to watch him grow into a dominating player and even more important, a man of impact. Today, I have one ask of you. I've been studying the growth playbooks of the best podcast, and the number one thing to grow your show is through reviews. It takes less than 60 seconds, and it's critical for podcasters like myself. It would mean the world to me if you could go head to the Apple Podcast app and leave a review on my show. My goal is to go from 60 to 150 reviews in the next two months, and with your help, I know we can do this. It's time for the It's Freaking Awesome Story of the Week, brought to you by the Festive kitchen. Every week we highlight the stories of people who went above and beyond and thought about someone else before themselves. Now that is freaking awesome. This week we're featuring an unidentified good Samaritan who pulled a man to safety just seconds before a train rolled into Union Station in New York City. On Wednesday afternoon, a man fell out of his wheelchair and onto the subway tracks in Union Station. With the help of other New Yorkers, a passerbyer quickly jumped onto the tracks and pulled the man to safety on the platform. Just seconds later, a train came barreling down the tracks, narrowly missing both of the men. The entire incident was recorded and posted to Subway Creature's Twitter account. The man who fell onto the tracks was taken to the hospital and is healthy, conscious, and in great condition. While the good Samaritan who saved his life was never identified, he deserves an abundance of praise for his truly freaking awesome work. But before we get to my interview with Nathan, right now, I just want to ask you something. Tell me if you know this story. You go out and spend hundreds of dollars on a fancy wearable device, hoping that it helps you achieve your wellness goals. And then it ends up in the sock drawer. Sound familiar? Or how about this? You follow those cookie cutter clickbait health recommendations like walking 10,000 steps a day. And all you get is anxious and demotivated when life gets in the way and you can't hit that magic number. It's time for an evolution of expectation and results. That's where AIM 7 comes in. AIM 7 sets busy people free to live their values every day by building lifelong healthy habits. We use the health data from your Apple Watch to create small, scientific, personalized recommendations for whatever you want to do. Sleep better, increase your energy, reduce your stress, or lose weight. 
If you're ready to finally unlock the power of your Apple Watch, then go to www.aim7.com. That's AIM7.com to get early and free access to our exclusive program. AIM7 starts small and it starts with you, your health data, your values to get to your thriving life. But now it's time to lean in and learn from the best. Nate, it's, I'm really glad to have you here today. It's nice to reconnect with you. <laughs> Oh, thank you. No, the pleasure's all mine. It's yeah, it's been a long time since our days back at William Mary. No question. I'm I'm really excited to catch up, and I'm mean, a lot has happened in your life. But before we get to the NBA and all the recent things, I really want to start kind of at the beginning. You you were born in Hawaii and moved to Syracuse, New York, when you were a kid. Uh, what was it like growing up in Syracuse? Uh, I mean. I think the best way I can put it is we didn't have a lot, but we had enough, you know, we, my mother, you know, I was the youngest of four. My mom did everything she could to uh, make sure that me and my siblings had, you know, the tools necessary, both mentally and physically to, you know, get through school and, you know, maintain grades and, you know, have a you know semi-sustainable childhood, you know, as a child, that's all you can really ask for. Everything else is kind of, you know, icing on the cake, but, I think, you know, the childhood that, you know, I was provided was, you know, a tougher one, but, you know, it built me to the person I am today. So was it tough just because of the financial situation or were there other things going on? I mean, financially, obviously, that was, you know, an obstacle for us. But I think uh, Syracuse as um, as a whole, people don't really, you know, talk about it enough. It's, you know, it's a pretty rough area where I grew up. Um on every side of town, there's some rough areas. And, you know, if you pick out every rough area in Syracuse, I lived there for one at, for a stint at some point while I was, you know, growing up. So um, just, you know, the peer pressures that come with being raised around that kind of stuff, um, having family um, be around that kind of stuff, it was tough. And again, it was uh, cognizant decisions made on my part and my mother's part to, you know, do her best to keep us away from those kind of things. Is was was sports something that kind of helped you stay like on the straight and narrow? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, just tip of the iceberg, sports were after school activities. Keep us busy while mom is at work. And you know, that turned into an outlet for me and my siblings. You know, as we grew up, uh, for me, it was basketball, using basketball. I mean, I was baseball first. But, you were a pitcher. You know, yeah, I was, I was decent. I'm not going to. I'm not going to speak too highly of myself. That's not something I can really do. But yeah, baseball and then transitioning to other sports, football and basketball, I'm using those as, you know, outlets to, like you said, keep myself, you know, busy, keep myself away from, you know, some of the, you know, bad things that are going on around me. So did did basketball find you or did you find basketball? Basketball found me. I think that's a really good question. Because I want to say that I found it, but I remember there was a pivotal, pivotal moment for me. It was, this is my freshman year of high school. I had just finished a brutal football practice. Uh, this is before I filled out. So I'm, I'm maybe 150 pounds soaking wet. And I'm that's a hundred pounds up. less than you are right now. Exactly. So <laughs> I, um, I remember walking through the gym we walked through the basketball gym to get to our locker room. And I remember stopping and watching who, well, who ended up being 
my skills trainer, my coach, he was training someone else. And I just stood there and I watched for maybe you know, 10, 15 minutes, just watched and say a word. And um, I went up to him after, you know, I showered. I came back in the locker room, introduced myself. And I think that was the moment that basketball found me. I mean, I always played, you know, in you know, leagues around the city, but it wasn't something that I really, that I really took seriously until, you know, I had that moment with him and he began to train me and, you know, teach me some tricks of the trade as far as being a basketball player. What is it about the game of basketball that you love so much? Um, I think the biggest thing I like is the imperfection of it. Basketball is a really imperfect game. There's a lot that can happen. There's a lot that you can prepare for, but you're never really, you know, preparing for a perfect game. You're preparing, you're preparing to play as perfect of a game as you can. Um, there are a whole bunch of outliers that go into a basketball game and, like life, it's, you know, it's an ebb and flow for 40, 48 minutes, depending on what level you're at. So I, I like the parallels it draws for me, at least in my life. It's, it's imperfect. And, you know, you do everything you can and sometimes it still doesn't work out. Yeah, that's really true, man. Um, I was on the bench for some of those imperfect games that turned out great. <laughs> And some of the imperfect games that didn't turn out great, but that's, that is one of the great things about sport is that, you know, we used to talk about situations, you know, in football, which I coach a lot, basketball, it's the same thing. Almost every sport that's a team sport, there's situations that you have to train for. It's not, can I shoot a free throw or can I shoot? You know, there's a lot of people that can shoot the ball, but it's, can you execute or do something in a chaotic situation with, constraints on you and yeah so you ended up not going directly to college am I correct yes I did four years public school Nottingham high school Mm -hmm. and then transitioned into an extra year of high school I did the postgraduate year at Kimball Union Academy and then from there I cascaded into college so you went to William and Mary now, that's a totally different vibe than Syracuse, New York. <laughs> I mean, if you if William and Mary is the, was the second oldest institution in America, you know, I think it's the oldest chartered one. Um, if you've ever been there, it's in Colonial Williamsburg. So you go from Colonial Williamsburg, which is like what it was during, you know, colonial times to like onto this historic campus. Like, what is it about William and Mary that you were attracted to? I think it was that major contrast that really drew me to William and Mary. Um, growing up in Syracuse, and I mean, by the time I took my visit to William and Mary, I was a couple months into boarding school in New Hampshire, so I had a taste of New England. But yeah, I mean, walking on campus, it was a completely different feel, a completely different vibe for me. Um, the pace was, you know, a lot slower. The city itself, the pace is a lot slower, but the school has a lot going on, and it just felt really homey for me if that makes sense, that that transition, I felt like going from boarding school into William and Mary felt like the easiest one for me. And it gave me the opportunity to get, you know, a decent distance away from home. So I had to take advantage. And it's a, it's not like, it's a very academically challenging institution. This isn't like, uh, you know, you're going to some state school. This is an elite institution where they, they almost pride themselves on putting you through the ringer. Uh, Was that a shock to you? I mean, I knew what I was getting into, but I think the biggest thing is I just had to go through it. I knew that it was going to be tough, you know, leaving high school and, you know, the summer and the first semester, I'm like, this is going to be tough. But it 
was everything I could have expected and more once I got there. It was, you know, extremely challenging, you know, applying some of the skills that I needed to to be a successful student, time management, um, sacrificing, you know, um, other what did things. What you major in? Business analytics. That's right. Data science, you know. Uh, we're going to have to talk a little about how that's impacted your game or the way that you look at statistics and stuff like that. But your freshman year, you lost 45 pounds. Um, it's hard to believe because the guy that I met going into his junior year was just a different body type, you know, broad shoulders, more narrow waist, but you were 45 pounds overweight. Like where and how did you, you went from 150 pounds, like soaking wet to how did you get up to, 45 pounds overweight. Yeah. I mean, what going into William Mary, I was probably, yeah, my heaviest, I was pushing 280, 285. And that was, that was a mixture of not, not picking up a basketball after my fourth year of public school, just because I didn't know what was coming next for me. I kind of hit like a, a rough patch. It was, it was tough on me mentally. You know, I had some local offers, but for me, I was really looking forward to getting away from the state of New York and, that didn't seem like a feasible opportunity for me. So, you know, I kind of gave up for a couple months and mentally it took a toll on me and physically it took an even bigger toll on me. Um, when the opportunities finally did arise and I was able to get myself on campus, I, you know, had set myself back 45, 40, 45 pounds. What was it? Was it hard? Did it take a while for you to lose that weight? I know uh, your coach then, Coach Shaver, really applauded your efforts to lose that weight. It's not It's not easy to lose 15 pounds for some people, to lose 45. What did you do to get that weight off? I mean, I think the first, like, 20 pounds were pretty easy because it was just, you know, when you when the weight is on like that and you you know you increase the physical activity and you change the diet drastically like that the first couple of pounds come off pretty easily but it was just consistency because it sucked um, I was so used to eating some of those you know we call those pleasure foods that taste good but they don't really give your body what it needs I was so used to you know relying on those for my my macros so transitioning into more whole foods more foods that gave me more bang for my buck it it, it sucked I'm not gonna lie. But it was just, you know, staying the course, being consistent and, you know, not giving in the temptation was probably the biggest thing for me mentally. And, you know, seeing the results made it a lot easier as well. When you were faced with temptation to like, what was your, what was your big crutch food? Like if you were to like go to emotional eating? Yeah, Chinese food for sure. Uh, yeah, I remember you used to go uh, like once a week to that Chinese buffet. Itchy barn, yeah. Itchy barn. Buffet. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, when you got that craving, how did you fight that craving? Uh, I think it was just, you know, a mental conversation. It was an internal conversation I had with myself, internal struggle. Um, just, you know, asking myself what I really want for myself. is like, is, is the short-term gratification worth, you know, the long-term goals that I'm trying to achieve right now? And the answer is always no. So... And some days it was harder than others, but that was, you know, the internal struggle I had with myself. So you really connected with your why. Yeah. Did you ever have a moment where you really like said, this is why I'm here. This is what I'm doing this for. Yes, it was. It, was, it didn't happen until my senior year, actually. It was when my mom came to senior night, um, walking her out. Um, my mom's, emo she's an emotional wreck and seeing all the people applauding and, you know, She's like just super proud. And, you know, my mom's my wife, my family's my wife. So having them there for me at that moment was 
you know, a really big, really big, you know, culmination for me. So you, you know, you, you progressed as a player all four years. It wasn't like you came out as a freshman. You were good. No, no, don't get me wrong. Like you were a good basketball player, but it wasn't like you were the CAA player of the year, defensive player of the year as a, as a freshman. You know, I think you were truly a guy that progressed. I was there for two of those years and I got to watch you mature physically and mentally. Like it seemed like every year you took a step or a big step, two or three big steps. Like, what do you think you attribute that to? Was it just because you're like, this is my why. And then you could reflect on where you need to grow. Like what was the secret? I guess you could say to that progression over those four years. I think the secret for me was, I don't know. It's, it's not going to make sense until I explain it, but just, you know, you know, the more autonomous I came and like what I was able to do for myself, you know, physically and mentally, the better I became, um, you know, my freshman, sophomore years, you know, just transitioning from, you know, the access I had, the access to different foods and different types of training that I had when I first got to college. And then, you know, the, the type of training that you brought to William and Mary, the, my final two years that opened up, you know, more avenues for, you know, different ways to better myself, you know, not, more than, you know, just traditional fashions, like in the weight room and on the court, there were more avenues that I, you know, could find ways to better myself as an athlete and, you know, get myself closer to where I needed to go. And that all ties back to autonomy. You gave us the, the choice and the opportunity to, you know, go out and make those decisions for ourselves. And that, you know, allowed me to progress in the way I needed to. Well, man, I appreciate the little shout out there, but you know, you, when you give somebody control or give them the ability to make a decision for themselves, you really, I guess you could say you get to see their character, you know what I'm saying? And uh, same thing for me or anybody else. Like when you give somebody the reins, like nobody wants to be micromanaged, right. Um, Right. In the workforce uh, when you don't micromanage somebody and you like, you, you go, Hey, this is your deal. You're the expert. Go run with it. That's, a, that's what great organizations are about. And that's really awesome that that you took hold of that because over those four years, I mean, you really changed. I mean, your body, even when I got there, I mean, your body changed, even from your junior to senior year, your game changed. Now, at the end of your junior year, the coach that recruited you there, Coach Shaver, who's there for a very long time, got let go and you had a decision to make. Like you could, a lot of guys transferred, uh, but you decided to stay. Why did you stay? Uh, there's there's layers to that, if I'm being completely honest. Um, I think, you know, the front layer was, again, it was stemming back to my why. And, you know, having conversations with my mom and my family, you know, my mom, I think, you know, my mom loves William and Mary more than I do. Um, and she didn't even go there. So, you know, my, the ties that I have to that school and, you know, the amount of emotion that me and my family have for that school was something that my mom really emphasized for me. And, you know, my mom always, she was like, I always want you to go out and, you know, pursue your dreams. But, you know, in time, when you're, when the time is right. And um, after having a conversation with my mom, it just felt like the right decision to come back. And, and there was a lot of uncertainty. I'm testing the waters with the coaching change with a lot of guys leaving. I'll, it, I was hesitant, but again, I feel like I made the right decision. I felt like I made the right decision at the right time. I gave myself the opportunity to, you know, do my due diligence, um, exert all my, 
you know, resources before I made my decision. We're going to take a break for just a moment to talk about how you can get exclusive content designed just for high performers like you. If you're looking for information and resources to improve your health, well-being, and performance, then sign up for my free high-performance newsletter, Adaptation. Just go to www.ericcorum.com and sign up now. This newsletter is my effort to bring zero-cost, high-performance resources and tools to anyone with a desire to improve. Now, back to the show. That's a very mature decision. I mean, it's not an easy place to be, especially when you're a wanted player, you know, and uh, uh, you could have gone play power five basketball, you know, for sure. You know, a major team, Um, but you decided to stay. But when you stayed, you didn't just stay. And it wasn't like you like crowned yourself king. Um, It was almost like you became more humble. Um. And you really had an amazing season again. And you had some big games against some big time opponents. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, we can. I mean, Oklahoma. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, that yeah, was pretty. I mean, I mean, we lost, but yeah, that was. I mean, all those games were, you know, for mid majors, and I, I, I think I speak for more than myself. It's like those games are. You, know, you look forward to those, and um you accept the challenge head on and you do everything you can to try to, you know, win those games. And yeah, I mean, Oklahoma, I just felt like everything was going right that game. Um, the practices leading up to it, you know, felt right. And, you know, I was just feeling good going into the game and I was able to find myself in the right position on the court and, you know, make some timely shots, make some tough shots when my team needed me to do so. And I think more importantly, the team was playing, we were playing really well together for, a majority of the game. I say majority because we, you know, eventually lost, but we had control of that game for like 38 of the 40 minutes that we played. It was just, you know, the final two that took us out of it. But yeah, I mean, that game, um, there were others. I think the biggest thing was just, again, mentality, just being consistent with that, not letting, you know, you look forward to those games, but not letting the atmosphere, you know, dictate how you come out and prepare yourself. I mean, you, you were clutch that season. Like there was a lot of times you went to the line, a big guy. Usually you don't want the big guy at the line uh, when the game's, uh, you know what I'm saying? Historically, like you yeah, don't no, want Shaq you, yeah. at the line, right? But, but you would go to the line and you would drill it. Um, what, like what enabled you to do that? Perform in these uh, clutch situations? That's a great question. I mean, I think it's just, again, it just goes back to a mentality. Um, I just look, I just looked at him as another opportunity to, you know, make myself a little bit better. Um, resume builders. Every, every time I stepped on the court was a resume builder, being able to, um, you know, practice some of those things, being calm and collected and, you know, being consistent regardless of how much time's left on the clock with the score is just being the same player through and through. And, you know, that allowed me to be successful in those clutch moments. And, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Looking back, it's just, again, a lot of a lot of things went my way towards those final stretches of those games. And, yeah, man, I think it just goes back to a mindset of consistency and just, you know, doing what's necessary. What was the game when you, you like, dribbled all the way down the court almost and shot the ball with, like, three or four seconds left? What game was that? Oh, that was Northeastern. Northeastern at home. I remember that. Crazy. That like, was crazy. It, you're not supposed to be able out. to dribble that far with the ball before getting fouled. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, it was packed house. I remember Fisher getting a huddle in. I mean, there was a bunch of options, but they just let, like, I put the ball on the floor and I'm driving. The guy's just, you know, he's leaning on my side. I'm like, I can go all the way. And then no one stepped up to help. I swore somebody was going to step up to help. You don't, you're not going to let their best player dribble all the way down the court and get a wide open layup. But yeah, it was, That's that what was happened. crazy. <laughs> Packed house and I made and everyone went crazy. It was awesome. Yeah, that was a that was a really awesome moment. I remember that. You had an, a fantastic season. Uh, things didn't go our way in the um, conference tournament. And what really stinks is we had a great team, and even if we would have won the tournament, we still wouldn't have been able to play in the tournament. Yeah, no, because of COVID. Because William and Mary is like one of a couple teams that has never made the uh, NCAA yeah, tournament. The yeah, they called the Forbidden Four. It wasn't Forbidden Five, but then a team made it a couple of years ago. So now it's the Forbidden Four. I'm very confident that that's not going to be the case forever. Um, no, absolutely not. William & Mary is trending, trending in the right direction for sure. Yeah, Coach Fisher's uh, – I don't know about you, but I learned a lot about culture from him. Yeah, I did. Um, I think that was remember, the biggest thing I learned from him. Do you remember when he uh, – what was one of the tenets about – oh, be honesty – yeah. And so he always talked about the core values. Yes. So he had his core values and this is a first time head coach. And like the first time he and I ever met, he's like, this is what I believe in. And I was like, wow, this is, this is pretty impressive. But then one of the core values, what were the core values, Nate? What <laughs> <laughs> one was like honesty. Okay. It was, it was hard work. Yeah. Communication, trust, focus, and because I remember he had like the he had the core values and he had the pyramid in the locker room. I'm just trying to remember. He's gonna hate me for this one. Like we we both, but here's what I should I know say. it. Yeah, I you should. should. Know you it. said it every day. It's gonna come to you here in a second. But one of them was like something around honesty or something like that. And I had you guys do a conditioning test, and the conditioning test, I felt that there were a few players that if I told them. Like I, I just said, Hey, like, here's the mark that you need to hit. And I like moved the mark up more than it should have been. And everybody hit it or exceeded it. Yeah. And cause I felt there was just a couple guys that wouldn't empty the tank unless I set the bar to a certain point. Right. So coach Fisher calls me in his office and he's like, Eric, he's like, Hey, um, I can't, I can't remember the core value right now. It was either honesty or something like that. And he's like, Hey, this is just, He's like, I'd like to use you as an example. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you said you told the players it was this, even though it really wasn't. And he's like, I would like to use you as an example as like, hey, Coach Corum wasn't trying to be, you know, he wasn't like trying to do something malicious. But if we believe in like being honest in our communication, then this is not how we're, and I was like, use it. You know, like, Call me out if that's what it needs to, you know. So anyway, he was just that kind of guy, though. Like, I, I really respected him for that. Like, he was going to, like, the first person he was going to pick on was going to be me. But he wanted to use me as an example of a situation where, like, hey, we want to be able to trust you guys 100% and just be clear all the time. Yeah, so absolutely. do you remember that? Yes, I do. I do remember <laughs> that, actually. I remember he came to us right after that. Yeah. What did you think? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean, Fisher, is, Fisher, I think that was probably, that's his strong suit is just like his ability to, you know, relay his messages through, you know, you know, 
his examples. Like those, those are kind of the things that really struck a chord with me. It's his ability to, you know, have applicable, applicable examples of what he was trying to get across to us. And he was calm, man. He was cool under pressure. He never, I never saw him like lose his mind. And I never saw him. I never seen him scream. Nothing like, and that's even more intimidating than having a coach who's like, you know, screaming at you. That's even more intimidating when he's just monotone. <laughs> it's a uh, self-control. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's something that I, I really admire. So what would you say were your big takeaways from your time at William Mary? Like when you step, like when you graduated from William Mary, you hit the 2000 point mark. One of, I think four people to ever do that in the history of the school. This is an old school, 1693. Like they let everybody know 1693. It's been around forever. I mean, that's a pretty big accomplishment, but of, of all that, like, what did you walk away from? It's like, this is what I learned from my time in college. I think the biggest thing that I took away from William and Mary was, yeah, I, uh, I mean, I don't know, that's a good question. I took away so many valuable lessons, but I think just, you know, the power of time, the power that time has on changing a person and the impact that, you know, experiences has on, you know, someone's life. I mean, I spent, I've been alive for 23 years and the four years I spent at William and Mary were probably the most pivotal of my life. Um, So it's just the power of time, the power of experience, I think was the biggest thing that I took away from that school. Um, I ran into so many different people from all walks of life um, and the lessons I was able to learn or things that, again, I don't think I can put a price on, things that I'll I'll never take for granted. And that, that all is just like part of the experience that I had. And that was the biggest thing I took away from that. It's just, you know, I'll never get those years back. And, you know, how valuable that experience is. It's a lot more than just going to college or playing basketball in college. It's a, it's a whole hodgepodge of experiences. And I think, you know, being able to walk away valuing it as much as I did was probably just some, the biggest thing I took away from that. Now you've, you've entered the NBA, you know, uh, you went undrafted um, how'd that make you feel? First of all, to be undrafted. Um, that honestly didn't make me feel any type of way. I think uh, going into it, it was, you know, it's every kid's dream to get drafted. But for me, my goal was, you know, to get to the NBA and, you know, I, then again, I can accredit this to my time spent at William Mary. I understand that, you know, no two people's path is the same. Um, there are guys who get drafted and, you know, don't stick around for unfortunately. And there are guys who will go undrafted and have very successful careers. No two people's paths ever looks the same. So, you know, draft night definitely stung a little bit, not having my name called, but I knew that there was an opportunity out there for me somewhere. We're so grateful to the Blueprint Podcast title sponsor, The Festive Kitchen. The zany creators of The Festive Kitchen set out to create the perfect, sweet, salty, crunchy snack with just a little heat. After tempting numerous flavor combinations, they started sharing samples with friends and family who would ask, what's the name of this snack? Since there was no name, they just answered, I don't know, but it's freaking awesome. Hilariously, the name stuck and a new product was born. It's a snack and it's freaking addicting and it's called It's Freaking Awesome. You can order online now at shop.festivekitchen.com and itsfreakingawesome.com. 
Trust me, this snack tastes as cool as it sounds. Brace yourself, you'll be ordering frequently for your freaking monthly fix. The good news is they now have a freaking monthly subscription. Again, it's available online at shop.festivekitchen.com or itsfreakingawesome.com. That's I-T-S-F-R-E-A-K-I-N awesome.com. That's pretty powerful, man. So you, you know, I love that because, you know, my time in the NFL, you would see guys that were drafted. It was really funny. The coach would always say there's seven rounds in the NFL draft, right? There's like two rounds in the NBA draft, right? Yeah. So there were seven rounds and like, they always did this to the rookies. I don't know what they do to the rookies in the NBA, but like they would make you stand up during minicamp or, and they would be like, Hey, you know, like how much money, what was your signing bonus? What round were you drafted in? And, uh, and basically like if you're drafted in the like sixth or seventh round, they're basically like called you a free agent. Like it's the same thing. You know what I'm saying? Like there is yeah. no, you know, and there was guys that came in early and they were gone. They were early draft picks and they were gone like in a matter of a year or two. And then there was these guys that were free agents that had this chip on their shoulder in a positive way. And they just worked really, really hard. And next thing you know, they're in the starting lineup or they're a core four special teams guy. And this year you found yourself getting some pretty good minutes at certain points. And you even had some really, you know, some really big games. I know that I would see on William Mary's social media. And then I would like flip over because, you know, you weren't, Posting all, you would post yourself like getting off a plane or like wearing something cool, but it wasn't like, hey, look what I did. Cause you know, it's that's not the kind of guy you are. But like when you got to the NBA and you kind of put on your hard hat, you start like, take me through the process. You get drafted, you go to what summer league in Vegas. Did they have that because of um, COVID? You know, so the NBA draft is usually in June. So our normal schedule is a June draft. Um, you spend some time with the team before you go to Vegas for summer league. Then you, you come back and you do training camp and you get ready for, you know, preseason and the regular season. Um, the draft wasn't until November. So the draft was November 18th. And, you know, I, I was, you know, I found a situation that night and I flew out November 19th. I was in Williamsburg the night of the draft and I flew from Richmond the next day to go to Atlanta and I'm trying to think it was a week or two, maybe. Could have been a little more, could have been a little less. And then we started training camp. And then we got right into preseason. It was kind of, you know, that expedited schedule that COVID granted us. And so, um, yeah, it all happened really Were you fast. you on pins and needles about getting cut? Is that how it works at that point? Like you can get cut any day or like, do you, like, how does that work? No, so, so my, the way my, I was fortunate enough to, you know, sign a two-way contract, which is, you know, you're with the team, but you, you know, you're with their G League affiliate, but, you know, you can also play with the team. And in a COVID year, it ended up working out better for me because they had the G League bubble in Orlando. And certain teams opted out of the bubble and didn't play. So certain teams didn't have the G League team in the bubble. So most of the two-way guys who were on the G League teams that didn't get called to the bubble were able to stay up with their teams. So I was able to stay up with the NBA affiliate for, the season for the you know, majority of the regular season. Wow. And you actually, I mean, you didn't just sit on the bench. You got to actually play a little bit, didn't you? Yeah, I did. And I think, I mean, if we're talking emotion wise, first it was, oh my God, I'm in the game. And then <laughs> it was like, you know, like it was shock. And then it was like, there was a little, there was like a moment of like anxiousness, like, oh my God, I'm in the game right now. Like, what am I doing? Talking to myself, you know? <laughs> 
But you playing? Was, what was the team? What was the team? That was Memphis. Was you know the first time that I got in. That uh, first time I remember. That's the that was my deer in the headlights moment. I remember that. I like I check into the game. I'm like taking off my stuff and I'm walking on the court and I'm. And I remember like getting. I think we were on offense. No, we were actually on defense. That first possession. I remember. I, and I I got in the game. I'm sitting in my defense stance. I'm like I'm actually in the game right now. <laughs> that I look and the guy's bringing the ball to the court. I'm like, oh my God, I'm in the game right now. <laughs> and I was like, I was completely zoned out for like the first like two or three seconds I stepped on the court because I was just like in such awe because I just like couldn't, it didn't like, I really didn't get a chance to, you know, didn't get a chance to resonate with me that like I was actually, you know, here. You know, it just felt like, you know, just showing up, doing my work. How long did it take you to get into it to where you were like not thinking about the moment? I don't know. That's a good question for me. It was like, I don't know. This year, as far as, you know, what it means to me, it's, it's at a premium. Um, I've talked about, I mean, you can ask anybody that grew up with me. I've talked about the NBA since I picked up the basketball. Um, so every time I stepped on the court, every time I even got to go out there and cheer my teammates on, whenever I was out there during a game, I'm just like, oh my God, like I'm actually here. I'm doing this. And that came with, you know, I mean, the biggest thing that came with was, you know, gratitude. And it came with, um, yeah, just a flux of emotions. I mean, I can't really, I can't really explain it, but um, it really, I think it really all calmed down for me a little bit. Like when the regular season ended and we cascaded in the playoffs a little bit, that's when, you know, I was kind of, you know, able to, you know, gear that down a little bit because it was just, you know, I think the best way I can describe it was like, it's like a youthful excitement, kind of like a child. Like I was just like a kid and I'm like so happy to just be there. You know, and I was like that. I was like that throughout the year, regular season and playoffs. But I was able to, you know, I had to shake that, you know, childishness about it a little bit to, you know, lock in to like lock in and be prepared to help my team for the playoffs. What's the biggest difference between college and the NBA? Is it like everybody just that much better of an athlete? Is it just like what is the big difference? The big difference is, I mean, yeah, it's the, it's the skill. And I think what that means, like, it's not the skill that's different. It's, it's what it takes mentally. I think it's like, cause in college, like I can get away. I, I, I can say this now. I, I was able to, you know, get away with some mental lapses I made on the court just because I was bigger than who, I, who was in front of me or I was a little more athletic than the person who was in front of me in the NBA. That's not the case. It was, you know, the mental sharpness that comes with being a professional athlete is something that I feel like goes unnoticed sometimes. And I took it for granted until I got there. Um, there's a level of mental focus that you need to have 24 seven, whenever you are at work, whenever you are there doing your job, because the person in front of you is trying to do his job too. And he's locked in. So there's just, there's, there's a level of mental readiness that you have to have when you're playing a, a professional sport in any capacity. And I think that's the biggest difference because in college, How many games are there? Move that stuff. How many games are in an NBA season? 82 on a regular regular NBA season. And this year, how many did you have? We had 72. It was kind of an expedited schedule with COVID. We're trying to get back on track. Still, that's a lot of games. You're, you're 72 games at home and on the road, traveling every two and a half to three days. And you're a role player. I mean, like you're on the bench most of the time. How do you stay locked into a game? Because I can imagine like it's it could be easy to drift and get into on the bench. And then all of a sudden they're like, Nate, you're in. And you're like, it's the third quarter or 
second quarter, you need to give, and you got to be ready to go. Like, how do you stay locked in into the moment? And then, cause you had some great, I saw some really cool games. Like you had like a 10 point game or something like that. You had some, you know, pretty massive dunk or whatever. But like, I think about basketball and baseball being very similar because you play so many stinking games and it's like, you, you can't lapse. Like, how do you stay locked in? I think this was something that, I mean, even before the season started, it's kind of, you know, an understanding of, you know, where I am and what I'm doing. Like you said, I'm a role player and I understood that. And I think the biggest thing for me was getting to the NBA. And then once I realized that that was going to be a reality for me was what do I want from, you know, my time in the NBA? And for me, I'm not looking for the instant gratification. It was, you know, I'm here for a consistent, sustainable career. I want to be here as long as my body lets me. And that comes with, you know, staying ready at all times because complacency is the biggest killer of careers. So just like a moment of complacency by me could set me back way more than I ever could have expected it to. So having that, having that level of just like having that understanding of, you know, all gas, no brakes was, you know, what kept me ready. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. A new survey by the American Psychological Association has found that nearly half of parents say they are more stressed now than before the pandemic, and over 60% of adult Americans have experienced undesired weight changes, all because of stress. Is there something interfering with your happiness or impacting your mental health? Well, now is the time to take action. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally accessible. This service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. So you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they can make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash blueprint. That's BetterHelp and join over 1 million people who've already taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they've been recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. BetterHelp is giving a special offer for the Blueprint Podcast listeners. You can get an extra 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com forward slash Blueprint. So how's your life changed since you're in the NBA now? I mean, it's changed in almost every facet, really. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, the financial... uh, stipulations of being a professional athlete are, I mean, I'm blessed. I, I, I can't, I can't sugarcoat it. I'm, I'm very grateful for, you know, the financial stipulations that come with my job, but I think, you know, I mean, at the very base level, I'm playing the sport I love for a living. And I think that's just, you know, a blessing in itself. And my life has changed in almost every single way. Um, Is it, I mean, is it hard to, from a, I just want to talk about money for a second. There's a, everybody looks at like NBA or pro teams and they're like, man, everybody's making 10, 15 mil a year. It's not the truth. No, no. So like, you know, the players that we all know 
max contracts. Like they've made their money as long as, as long. The sad thing is a lot of, a lot of athletes in every sport are broke when they're done. But if you're financially prudent and wise about it, you could be set up for generational wealth. But is it hard to be next to somebody who's got that? And like you are where you are right now. Like the goal is, is you put one day at a time, you keep putting together a resume for yourself and then you can sign that great contract. How do you balance out? Like, that's how they live. This is how I live. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think, um, I think the best way to answer your question is just kind of go back to something I said earlier. It's, um, no two journeys are ever the same. I don't know how we got here. You know, I mean, I have an idea, you know, he's, he's well known just like I am. I'm sure I can Google it, how he got here and what he had to go through, but you know, no two journeys are the same. And, you know, for me personally, um, I know what I went through and I know the type of person it made me. I'm very grateful for the things that I have. And I wouldn't have had it any other way, honestly, going back, I think, um, yeah, just not comparing myself because comparison can kill someone's joy. You know, I'm sitting there and again, like I'm extremely blessed. Like I do what I do for a living and I make the money I make. And, you know, on the much wider scale, it's, it's ridiculous. It's insane. And someone might be making more, but again, it's just like, why even, you know, why even try to worry myself with that kind of stuff? I'll get there. You know, if that's in the cards for me, I'll get there. If I continue to do what I'm supposed to do, I can't, I can't compare it all because that's when, you know, you make some, some of the bad emotions to jealousy, despite the, you know, just all those other things that, you know, just don't make for a very successful person. It's a very mature response, man. Comparison is the thief of joy. Um, so I always ask my guests like a couple of questions every single time on the podcast, what does high performance mean to you, Nate? What does it mean to be a high performer? I mean, to be a high performer is to be consistent, be sustainable. I think that's the word I would use when I think about high performance is sustainable. Um, you know, I was, a, I was an analytics guy. And for us, sustainability is not necessarily can you be consistent. Is It's the habits you have in place. Well, those set you up to be consistent on a daily basis. And if you don't have a sustainable supply chain, you're not going to have consistent product. And that's what I think about when it comes to high performance, because again, it's a lot bigger than just what you do on the court and what you do in the weight room. And even what you do with your diet, there's a lot more that goes into it when you think of the high performance. And yeah, it's just, I think about sustainability. It's like all those, all those habits that you, you know, put yourself around, are those sending you up to be consistent on a daily basis? I love the supply chain, dude. That's a great response. I mean, that is, that's a very, thoughtful and practical way to look at it. So what habits or practices have you put in place to help you perform at a high level? Yeah, I think for me, and I've, I mean, you know, this, I, I've, and I'm a workhorse. First of all, I, I love, I love lifting. I love doing all that stuff. I love, you know, putting myself through the ringer. That's just how I've been. But I think more recently, it's been more the mental side that, you know, I've implemented some of those habits to, you know, keep, make myself more sustainable, make myself more consistent, um, you know, headspace, books, a lot of books, um, you know, trying to clear my mind and you know, meditation. There's, there are so many things that I've, you know, just dabbled in over the past year and some change, just trying to, you know, make myself, you know, clear in between the ears and, 
And I think it's really helped me. So what are you learning about right now? Like, how are you investing in yourself? Like right now, what's your focus going into summer league and training camp soon? Yeah. I mean, right now for me, it's just, um, just remaining consistent because environment has changed. Um, we're not in a COVID year anymore. Well, we still are in COVID, but the you know regulations and policies and guidelines that they had in place are kind of, you know, they shifted for vaccinated people and they shifted uh, since, you know, last season and the environment's changed, but, you know, it's all about remaining consistent. And like, it was a lot easier to, you know, not do anything when you can't do anything. When all NBA is is allowing you to do is, you know, get your groceries and leave your house when you you have to. Um, Again, environment's changed. It's just all about remaining consistent. That's the biggest thing I'm trying to focus on right now. And again, just prepare myself the best I can to, you know, go out and have a successful summer league, whatever that means. Nate, um, how can people find you and support you? Like, you know, people are like, man, I like this guy, Nate. Like, where, where can they find you? I mean, I'm on social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Nathan Knight. You know, I'm big in the conversations. I'm big in the picking brains. If you have some valuable insight on anything that, you know, help me or if you, you know, need any information on how I can help you, just, you know, reach out. I'm only a, a message or a phone call away. Nate, this for me was a absolute pleasure um, seeing, you know, the progression of you over several years. It's just, uh, it's why I did what I did is to be around guys like you, you know, and, um, and, and I'm just so thankful for you, your friendship. And I'm just super excited to see the impact that you're going to continue to have uh, on your teammates and what the future has for you. Cause I know, whenever basketball comes to an end, like the story is just going to keep going. Uh, Like you're going to keep having an impact. And so if you guys are not following Nathan Knight, you need to follow this guy because he's going to, I don't know if he's going to be the governor or a senator or CEO or whatever, uh, NBA All-Star, whatever. It doesn't matter. Like he's going to keep making an impact. So thanks for joining us today, Nate. I know. Thanks for having me. If today's podcast enriched your life in any way, Please support The Blueprint by sharing this podcast with someone you think that could benefit from today's conversation. Also, please consider checking out the Festive Kitchen's amazing product. It's freaking awesome. It makes for a fantastic gift for a colleague, friend, or loved one, or as a freaking fun snack when you want something sweet and savory to tantalize your taste buds. Thanks for listening. You can find more episodes and all other Hot Pie Media originals baked fresh daily at our home on the web at hotpiemedia.com, the Hot Pie Media YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts.